Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we have this time each and every week to gather together as your people and let your word speak into our lives. Sometimes that's word that's challenging and convicting, and other times it gives us great comfort. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would do a wonderful work in each and every one of us as we dive into this passage this kickoff Sunday, and that as you challenge some, encourage others, and illumine our hearts and minds, your words would be mine, and that you would truly bend our wills to your will, and that you be glorified in each and every one of us as we seek to follow you in our day. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, welcome to Kickoff Sunday, friends. It's, it's, it's an honor to be here with you once again as we look at this passage that, like I said, the welcome, we take this Sunday and we always step back and we say, who are we at Christ Church? What do we believe? Why do we believe it? And how are we walking together that's unique? And so I've chosen this passage and because I find it very relevant to each and every one of us as we go forward. And this is that Sunday where we have one of the best coffee hours in America outside. Because Jeff and Marie do a super job making it a warm and welcoming place for us. So hang around with one another. Because we are, this is a place where gospel relationships are formed and nourished and encouraged. Because we're a place where gospel belief forms a gospel culture. Vertical grace makes us a piece of horizontal grace. And you have to have both according to God. You can't have one without the other. I liken it to an arithmetic formula, all right? There's three times types of professing fake Christian faiths in our culture. Two of them are wrong, one of them is right. The first two that I'm going to describe are absolutely wrong. There's one which says gospel belief minus gospel culture equals fundamentalist hypocrisy, all right? There's another one that says gospel culture minus gospel belief equals liberal, unbelieving church cloaked in Christian robing. The last, which we strive to be part of, is gospel belief plus gospel culture equals power because it's Holy Spirit-filled, transformed lives doing life together encouraging one another, supporting one another, challenging one another where appropriate. And it's powerful. And the scripture calls us to it. Because here at Christ Church, we love the Bible. We love Bible doctrine and the robust Reformation theology that comes along with it. We love studying not only that, but our statement of faith, the 39 articles, and what it means to be a disciple in our day. But you know, that doctrine was never meant to hang up in the air as some kind of abstraction. God gave us his word to be believed, and God gave us his word to be obeyed. And that's what we do as we walk with Jesus, and we do so together as a community. One part can't be missing. We embody that gospel belief and the beauty of our lives doing life together. Then will the West Shore community around us, they can both hear the gospel from us and see the gospel in us. 
And then we can bear clear witness of who Jesus truly is. And so, this is who we are. And so this fall, we're hitting kind of a control-alt-delete and another reset as we continue to grow. Because if you've been with us in my 11 years, or in the past seven years since we began as Christ Church West Shore, we're not the same people. Because in Christ, you're always changing. You're always growing. And so we're going to look at this passage, and I encourage you to open up your Bibles to the letter of 1 John. If you don't have your Bible, you'll find it in the back of your bulletin. Because in this reboot of Christ Church as a gospel belief and gospel culture community, we're going to take the next seven weeks and discuss what it means to people, as in our opening scripture, who are people who worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. For such the Father seeks to worship Him. What does that mean for us as we seek each and every Sunday to gather together as God people to meet the Lord? Because that's what we're doing. We don't just go to church. But before we do that, we have to make sure we understand who God is and how we live our lives together. And that's exactly what John is writing about. This is John, the disciple. He was the only one at the foot of the cross, male at the foot of the cross. The women were there. All the other men had scattered. But John, as a teenage believer and follower of Christ, was the only one who was there and saw Jesus take his last breaths. He was there when the first at the tomb on Easter Sunday. And so, literally, 50 years later, he writes this letter, not to a particular church, but to the entire Roman Empire church. It's a fascinating letter. Because what he's writing about is exactly what we're attempting to be, a gospel belief and a gospel culture community. Because there's nothing more basic to the doctrine of God, because the doctrine of God brings with it and creates a culture of honesty. Not a culture of honesty about my opinion of others, but my opinion about myself. Because <laughs> he illumines my heart. And so, there was two great things you see in this passage in verses 1 through 10. Verses 1 through 4, you see John is joyful. And verses 5 through 10, you see John is burdened. So let's look at those, shall we? John is joyful. Well, why is he joyful? John is joyful because here, in our world of, world of brokenness, violence, corruption, stupidity, into this world, God came down 2,000 years ago in Jesus Christ and revealed himself. And look how John describes it. It's in a description of personal eyewitness testimony. Verse 1. From the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. <laughs> He's saying, hey, peeps, I've seen him. I've heard him. I've touched him. This is 
real. And I proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with God Himself and fellowship with us. He's not talking about a personal relationship with Jesus. Although you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But remember something. The devil has a personal relationship with Jesus too. Okay? He's talking about having that relationship and fellowship. A deep knowledge of the Lord and God the Father and with his people, the church. And John is joyful about that. And that's good news because it's external to us. It's something that comes to us. And we just say yes to him. Thank you, Father, for what you've done for me in Jesus Christ. German scholar Jürgen Moltmann states that Jesus' healing ministry are not supernatural miracles in a natural world, but rather they're the only truly natural things in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Amen. God has come and he's revealed himself, and John is joyful about that. And here at Christ Church, that makes us joyful. We're happy, we're glad, and we receive this with great joy. But like John, we were also burdened, as we see in John verses 5 through 10. Because you know, he's not worried about the Roman religion. That is the dominant view of the people around them right now, at the time of this writing, in 85 to 95 He's not worried about the political situation either. What's he concerned about? He's most concerned about those who would call themselves Christian and yet make it up along the way. He's concerned about false profession because this is the second generation of the Christian movement. And sweeping into the church is what I would call a little pocket Jesus. A Jesus... That, yeah, you, you, you kind of worship, but you, make, you, you like this part of the Bible, you don't like this part of the Bible, and so therefore you ignore it, you don't walk in it. And John calls that darkness. And that pocket Jesus, when you pull him out, he looks just like you. He looks just like me. And pocket Gene isn't what Jesus died for. Okay? And what John is doing with this theme of light versus darkness, truth versus lie, he's calling us back to basics. And everything is at stake here. Don't fall for false Christianity. And so verse 5, he says, This is the message which we have heard from him, Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You know, the properties of light, light gives warmth Light is clear. Light is pure. There's no such thing as dirty light. There's, light comes in and dispels the darkness. And when you flick on the light switch, the darkness runs for the hills, right? And John is saying, God is like that. The entire Bible says that's the case. In Genesis 1, let there be light. In Isaiah God prophesies through Isaiah that the Messiah will be a light to the nations. The psalmist proclaims, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Jesus and John himself said, I am the light of the world. And the Bible says of us that the people 
who walk in darkness have seen a great light, but they preferred the darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And you know, when you get right down to it, we get that. Because when it comes to our sin and it comes to the way we try to live our lives on our own strength, we keep our lives hidden both in secrecy and in denial. And that very human impulse is to hide, withdraw, live anonymously and isolated because of fear of exposure and the fear of to be known. And John's point here is that is exactly how false Christianity gains traction in your life. We fake it and we make it up along the way based on our own feelings, comforts, and preferences. And John is saying it's a false Christianity. And Jesus did not come to die for that. And our task is in this and every generation to recover original Christianity. And this means calling sin, sin is not legalistic, mean-spirited, and petty. It's how we walk out of darkness into light. Therefore, a professing Christian who is obeying sin is committing treason against our king. With every sin that we commit, we literally spit in his face. And in verse 6, he says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's what John's saying. There's nothing about God we need to run from, ladies and gentlemen. There's nothing we need to brace ourselves against God. But when we open up to God and Jesus, who knows us warts and all intimately, the all-holy God, we have nothing to lose but our shame and our regrets. On the cross, Jesus took it all, and we can welcome Jesus into our lives with zero caution. John is challenging each and every one of us to dare to believe it. Because we tend to not believe that. We tend to think we need to wash up, get it all together before we can come back to God, who is light, in whom there is no darkness at all. But the God of the Bible is one who doesn't love a false you. He doesn't love a fake you. He loves the real you, the you who you are, the actual you, the rehabilitating raw you, the you that you don't even like. He loves, and he died for you. But this crazy Christianity of our world that Jesus didn't bring to us, the idea that we can receive Jesus Christ and not change, go through the rituals of baptism, go through the ritual of confirmation, and never change, don't adjust our lives ever. We don't have to obey this, we don't have to obey that, but we can stay the same as ever we were, and everyone should be just fine with that. Put a chip on our shoulder to say that we're walking with the Lord when we're not walking with the Lord. What's the problem with that? What's at stake here 
according to John, ladies and gentlemen, is whether we are or whether we are not Christians. And he describes, for the rest of the letter, the ways the first century church is not walking in light. If you're interested in that, come join us in Avon Lake Group. We'll get into that in a couple, in next, not this Sunday, but next Sunday. But what are some ways people walk in darkness today? Well, they did that then too. Some of them. One way people walk in darkness is they never self-examine themselves before the Lord. They never apply the sermon. They never ask where they are in the Christian life. That's walking in darkness. And Paul says, examine yourselves whether you're in the faith. Test the spirits. John says, whether they be of God. And we can in examine ourselves and ask ourselves, where am I in my walk with Jesus? How am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I growing to where I was six months ago? Not by my own definition, but by the Bible's definition of what it means to be a disciple. Am I easier to live with than I were six months ago? Than I was six months ago? Am I more gracious, more compassionate? More outward looking. That's walking in the light. Or another way people walk in darkness is that person irregularly reads the Bible or never reads the Bible. They only hear it in church on a Sunday. They never really read it for themselves. And they got all kinds of excuses. And they're good. Have no time. Lots of pressures. So on. But when we treat the Word of God like that, we're absolutely running to darkness, away from the light. I love Mark Twain. He said, it isn't the parts of Scripture that I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts that I do. (laughs) Hey, that's honesty. But you need to remember, when it comes to your own personal Bible reading, the aim is never to become a master of the Word, according to Dr. D.A. Carson. It's not to become a master of the Word, but rather to be mastered by the Word. For when we're mastered by it, we're walking in the light. Or another way of walking in darkness is the person who their prayer life is the same as their Bible reading like that. It's irregular or they never pray. Scripture is clear. The blessed man meditates on the law day and night. Meditation is prayer. Looking at words in the Scripture and praying through those words back to the Lord. Paul said, pray without ceasing. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. We say that prayer every week. When you pray, pray like this. That's assuming that we're praying. That's walking in the light. Or how about the person who walks in darkness, who irregularly attends church or attends church Christmas and Easter, attends only when they have a duty as a lector or an usher or greeter or an acolyte or an altar guild, set up and break down crew. My friends, do you realize that as we gather together, God is present? That the word of God, as it is proclaimed, is a channel of God's light. He illumines our hearts, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It penetrates and searches out our inner life and exposes it to our view. And sometimes when we're exposed, it's like my friend June Love says, oh, carp. Mm. That happens. That's the normal part of the Christian life is letting the Lord speak truth in our life because the people who love us the most give us the truth, right? And if we're not in church, 
we escape that light in a way that no podcast can recapture. We're no longer made uncomfortable by the word. And when we live our lives that way, we discover that we stay away. We don't experience the pricking of our conscience, which the light awakens. And that is living in darkness. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how we may stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Walking in the light is looking at the Lord's day, the Sunday, and setting it aside as a weekly vacation day. Resting, gathering together, ministering to one another and others. And circling down the calendar each and every week. It says to the family members who come out of town to spend the weekend with you, and you say, Hey, I'm going to church. Why don't you come with me? What a witness that is! Last way I've noticed people walking in darkness as of late. This is from the Pew Research. It is a common, well known fact that many, many, many. Christian single young men in America dating a Christian woman by the third date they're expecting sex. Did you know that? Many other young women know that. John would say that that behavior is not just predatory, it's anti-Christ. Any man who lives like that is not only a jerk, he's not even a Christian. Okay? He's walking in the darkness and posing in the light, and he's deceiving himself most of all. And quite frankly, all these behaviors are self-deceptions. And so to walk in the darkness and pick and choose how I will be a Christian is like saying, that's an orchestra and the whole bass violin section is missing. Have you ever heard an orchestra at a climax without a bass violin section? That's not an orchestra. It doesn't sound right. And the good news about this is John does not leave us there. Look what he says. But, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The posture of God is always welcoming us back. It was Jesus in the gospel today says, hey, if one of the sheep is gone, we rejoice when they come back. The shepherd is elated that the sheep is back. That's the heart of God. And verse 9 doesn't stop there. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's who we are. We're a gospel belief, developing a gospel culture like never before. So I invite you, let's do life together this year like you've never done it before. Consider, pray about joining us in one of our groups wherever they may be in our fellowship. Tuesday morning, ladies, there's a women's Bible study that's going through the Sermon on the Mount with Jen Wilkin. We have 19 women signed up for that. Praise be to God. Well done, ladies. I'm so excited for what the Lord's going to do as you walk through that message. And uh, there's room for more. It's meeting in here. We're setting up for that after the service is done. 
Wonderful opportunity. Wednesday night, there's still room in our John study. You know, walking through the Gospel of John with Read, Mark, Learn, developed from St. Helens. You know, and so it's just a wonderful, wonderful group. We also have Thursday mornings with Catherine Zataki walking through the book of Acts. Ladies in, in Fairview Park, please consider that. We also have the Wednesday service, by the way. The Wednesday service at 10.30. My crew gives it to me hot, you know. I preach the structure and the emphasis of the sermon. A couple of illustrations. They go, eh, eh. They tell me what's good, what's bad, what's ugly. And then you get the polished product because of their faithfulness to, to the Lord and to one another because that's a group who really loves one another. If you're available, come, 10.30. We do communion every week. It's a wonderful, wonderful group. And last but certainly not least, starting next Sunday at our house is the Avon Lake group. My friends, that's a party. We simply, all you got to do is come and eat. That's all you have to do is come and eat. You will not be asked to read. You will not be asked to pray out loud. You don't even have to bring your Bible, but if you don't bring your Bible, I've got one for you. All right? Because we're going to walk through this first letter of John and see how relevant it is to our day together. Because that's who we are. And we're going to do mission together to be a blessing as well. Because a church that looks up to the Lord reaches out. And one of the ways we're going to reach out together that's new to us is our partnership with Common Threads through Building Hope in the City. I'm pleased to introduce to you Jeff Stredney. Come on up, Jeff. He's the director of uh, that outreach initiative in Common Threads and HopeWorks with our partnership with Building Hope in the City. We had Brian Upton come and speak to us a few years back. And we're excited about this newly partnership, which is a gospel partnership, meeting people's needs where they live, work, and play in word and in deed. Jeff, I'll turn it over to you, my friend. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good, thank you. Thanks for having me out here. It's a joy to be with you. I really do think anytime we can get up together uh, and come worship the Lord together, it is a good day. It's a good start today, and I'm grateful to be here. Um, we're looking at 1 John 1 to 3, and I just want to tell you that um, 1 John is one of my absolute favorite books of the Bible. Uh, it was the first chapter is one of the first large passages of Scripture I ever memorized, uh, and it is so relevant to understand where am I at in Christ, and am I really uh, committing to God and living the way that he asked me to live? So if you're interested in that book, I definitely encourage you to go to that study. Uh, it's a rich, rich book and a rich, rich thing. But in 1 John 1, 3, uh, there's a part there that I particularly like. Uh, John is talking and he's witnessing. He says, we proclaimed you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And he extends it to because our fellowship is with God the Father uh, and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. I'm with you today in a way to help make my joy complete, maybe your joy complete, by sharing opportunities with you and some things that God's doing, and I hope we'll continue to do through our partnership. I really am here to proclaim what I have seen and heard, uh, being the director of social enterprises in our, in our Northeast Ohio context, um, and to testify to that to you. So as um, I was introduced, my name is Jeff Stredney. I work with Building Hope in the City. Uh, and we talk about Common Threads. Common Threads is the first social enterprise of Building Hope in the City. Uh, it's an upscale thrift store in Fairview Park, Ohio, West 220 in Lorraine, and we opened in June of 2016. 
And one of the very interesting things about it is that, yes, God called me to start it, and I had never been in a thrift store uh, before starting one. And so there's a little bit of backstory here about me. I'm a Northeast Ohio boy born and raised uh, in Warren, Ohio. I went to school at Case for systems and control engineering, operations, management, finance, things like that. And I spent 10 years in the corporate world with a private firm developing business in power generation and technologies in Brazil and India and China and the United States and all those wonderful things. Uh, and at the same time, uh, I'm an elder at an inner city church uh, family called Metro Alliance. It's a Christian Missionary Alliance congregation. And I've been living in the inner city for 14 years, uh, raising my family and, and being a part of things there. And God, uh, I had to, three, four years ago, my heart was literally ripped in two because I'm jet-setting around the world, negotiating contracts and creating technologies, and then I come home and we don't have $20 to give to a kid's church worker who wants to work with special needs kids among refugees in our neighborhoods. And I'm just going, Jesus, this thing can't be. I don't know what, what's going on here. I have a love of business. I have a love of ministry. I have a love of the city. I know things about people all over the world at no doing of my own. How are you going to reconcile this? And three years ago, Building Hope in the City, a great, wonderful Christ-centered charity, was asking the question of how do we continue to move the ball down the field uh, with the people that we're connected to, with the people that God has entrusted us with. Um, and when you think about how do you move the ball down the field, you can do programming and other activities so much, but things like a meaningful wage job, a fair house, a stable place to live, a good landlord, a fair rent, a rent-to-own opportunity, those are significant things that can be game changers in people's lives. And so Building Hope wanted to know how do we do that at the same time, I was asking, how do I take business and ministry and blend them? And the most important thing is, uh, doing this job, you have to be willing to not get paid nearly what you make in the business world. And I said, that's me. Um, and because it's, it's all for the Lord, it's all the time. And I have never uh, worked harder at anything in my life, and that says a lot, if you know me, uh, but I've never enjoyed anything more uh, being of service to the Lord in this way. So having never been in a thrift store, I said, Jesus, how are we going to make this work? And I went and walked down every thrift store in Northeast Ohio I could find. I'm a data guy, so I started to gather data and analysis. And basically what you have when you look at thrift stores and consignment and retail in Northeast Ohio, you have two things. You have really big, big box thrift stores. Think like Salvation Army and Goodwill, and those are wonderful organizations. People who are doing recycling and thrifting and contributing to the community are wonderful things. But those facilities are like 25, 30,000 square feet, very, very large. Um, they're rummage sale uh, kind of feel. They have great volunteer causes, and people like them for those reasons. The other thing you have is you have small consignment kind of boutique stores. Uh, usually it's a woman, a sole proprietor, who's curating and merchandising, more upscale clothing. Um, and those are great because it's, it's beautiful and, it, and it's, it's nice and it's kind of an employment arm. So what we did and what Jesus led us to do was to kind of create something that was the best of both those worlds. We're mid-sized. We're about 12,000 square feet, not 1,000 or 30,000 square feet. Um, we're 100% nonprofit, but we're also 100% local. So the money that we um, end up uh, creating stays in Northeast Ohio instead of being sent out to a national charity and then back into um, the city. We serve as both an employment center Right? So we're able to, to train and employ people connected to the, to the charity, but we're also a volunteer opportunity center, and I'll talk to you about that in a minute. Um, and then finally, uh, the money all supports Building Hope in the City and the things that they do. And if you don't know Building Hope in the City, in a nutshell, it's a, it's a passion to advance the good of the city 
uh, and to um, empower and unleash the potential of underestimated and underprivileged peoples and communities. So we're doing urban leadership development with people who are from the city and for the city, but maybe who've never been resourced to reach the city. Uh, we're doing tutoring at sites throughout schools and Cleveland neighborhoods. Um, we're welcoming refugees and immigrants. We're welcoming the stranger right, as a neighbor and as a friend. And so we have a drop-in center where people can do citizenship and ESL classes and more than 100 people have become citizens in the last few years because Building Hope in the city has done uh, these things. And so when you look at all that Building Hope does and you know that we're, we're funding that, um, I wanna tell you a little bit now about, that's why we're different, that's, that's kind of a little bit about who we are, um, but I wanna talk about some of the results from what we've, what we've seen. So in just two years, we've been able to hire and train 29 people Right, and we're going to hire our 30th come October. Um, 21, and now 22 in October, 22 of those 30 will be directly connected to the ministry or a ministry partner. That's a very, very high percentage uh, of people that we're connected to in the charity getting a meaningful wage job. We pay the highest wages in the industry, period. It's a non-negotiable for me. You start at a higher price point, and the wages just go up from there. I, we're, we're willing to give the money back to our people because that's the right thing to do in my mind as part of that ministry. 62,000 customers to date, 250,000 items sold, 200,000 pounds of textiles recycled so far. So we're a little different from other places in that when you give us your items, clothing, shoes, hard goods, whatever, especially the clothing items, I ask God, what is the best use of this item? If it is a new Calvin Klein suit, I think the best use of that item is to be sold in the store to make as much as possible to help employ someone. Um, if there are clothes that uh, maybe are kind of middle of the road or that could help someone, I partner with four free stores and shelters in the area to make sure that people who have emergent needs get the clothes that they need because those shelters and those outfits aren't able to take on the volume of stuff that we can in donations and it allows them to get exactly what they want and exactly what they need. Right. So we have these um, uh, different things going on, recycling, and I'm, I'm, I'm just pleased to say we've also been named the best thrift store in Cleveland in Northeast Ohio two years in a row after just two years operating. Now, if you don't think that's God's grace and that's God's favor, I don't know what is because this guy had never been in a thrift store, and the fact that it's been named best in Cleveland uh, out of more than 90 thrift and consignment stores in Northeast Ohio, that's the unmerited, undeserved grace and favor of God. And so to be here today and to share these stories with you uh, and to share ways you can partner is just a great privilege to me. Um, so that's some of what's happened there. What about ministry results? So by acting as a, a ministry that's a business and by building a culture of Christ in a place, um, we've been able to support churches and church plants through the money that we've raised in the city. So the gospel is going out and advancing a new territory in the city because we exist. So praise God for that. There, I, I look at about how many conversations a week do staff and customers and donors interact with, have conversations in Christ. So it's really hundreds of conversations since we've opened have been in or around Christ or around faith. Now, not every person in our store is a believer. Not every shopper is a believer. Not every donor is a believer, by far. But there are Christ ones that he has placed in that space, um, and those conversations are happening. Because when we live out who we are in Christ right where we're at, what you're talking about doing, um, those conversations will inevitably come up, who you are, what you do, etc. Um, thousands have been exposed to uh, Building Hope in the City and its mission. New volunteers and donors are added every day. And finally, there really are changed lives that are happening. And I want to just share uh, a couple quick stories with you. So first is uh, Leela. If you come during a weekday, you will meet Leela. Leela is a 80-pound soaking wet Nepali refugee woman, an amazing woman. Uh, and she came two years ago. And if you hear her tell the story, she gave birth to a child without any food in her refrigerator. 
and not knowing what she was going to do to survive the next day. Um, if you don't know anything about the refugee situation, uh, there's a lot of confusion out there, but basically the UN places people here. They have six months of support. They actually have to pay back their plane tickets, so they come with debt to the US already. Um, and then they have six months to figure it out, and then that's the le last support you get. I don't know about you, but you drop me in the middle of Nepal or Afghanistan, and six months later, see how I'm doing, I'm not going to be doing that well. So by creating this loving community and wrapping and surrounding them, uh, was able to provide Leela a job, and she's been doing working hard and doing great, and now she and Mon, uh, her husband, and their kids, um, they have a house, they have a car, they have a path forward. But the neatest thing that's happening is the work of the Spirit of God in Leela, even though she's a Hindu. Um, and so she knows that we pray at the store. Everyone who comes in the store, I have the conversation and say, we're a Christian company and we have Christian values and this is the values that we have, but no matter who you are or what you believe, you are loved and we appreciate you being here and you are welcome to work here. So yes, I have Muslims who work uh, with us. We have Hindus who work with us. We have people of different backgrounds. Uh, but Leela, who's this Hindu, has known that we pray a lot, and she's seen Jesus do things when we pray. And so she was having trouble one day with um, paperwork, with uh, accreditation, things like that. So she goes to the Hope Center, and there's just all these problems, and everyone's trying to figure it out. Leela goes, and she finds a cross. And she doesn't speak really good English, so she brings the cross over to the people who are trying to figure out the paperwork, and she points to it, and she says, Jesus, we need to talk to Jesus about this, Right? And not that God had to do this, but that paperwork had to get in by 5 o'clock. It was 4.38. Nothing had worked for several hours. They prayed. Everything opened up. The communication protocols went, and her paperwork was submitted at 4.54 p.m. that day. So Jesus didn't have to do that, but Leela's learning that when you, you, you need to talk to Jesus. There's something about talking to Jesus that's good. So that's, that's just a little bit a taste of what's happening. We have another young man, um, Tim. Uh, and Tim was someone who was in Christ, uh, but who fell into the addiction of alcohol. Uh, and he had been away from his children for four years because of that addiction. He'd missed most of their young lives. We were able to provide him a job right out of Teen Challenge. We were able to be the employer when no one else will take a chance on someone who's done those things in the past and has this history and is fresh out of recovery. No way. But we were able to do that. We were able to risk that. And even though there were some bumps along the way, we control the culture of the company. We can provide extra grace. We can provide extra favor and right parameters. And I'm pleased to say Tim is one of the most valuable and intelligent, capable people, um, and today he's seven months with his wife, with his children, with his family together, the longest stretch he's had since they've been born. So praise God for that and the work in that young man uh, and the opportunity that our partnership and the work we're doing together allows us to have. And finally, Takwa. Takwa is one of our Sudanese Muslims, uh, and Takwa's sister died, and she happened to get the phone call from Sudan um, in the store. And it just so happened that God had it that I was there and another Arabic speaker was there uh, to be able to be with her during that time. And in that moment of loss, Takwa and her husband are here without a lot of support and community. Our Common Threads family very much was a supporting and surrounding family to her, providing love and encouragement, attending uh, the service that they had in honor of her here. And Tagwa had to go back eventually to Sudan. And when she went back, she came to the store with tears in her eyes. And she says, I know they're Muslim, there's Christian. She's like, I would just say, God is present here with tears in her eyes. So know that when we do what we do and live out who we are, there are ripples that are touching. That is a witness that's in Sudan right now. That is a witness that's in Nepal right now because of the work we do together. So you may think giving us your old t-shirt isn't that big of a deal, but I promise you it is a spiritual act 
and trust Jesus with it. Pray over those items and ask God to use them in powerful ways. So how can you partner with us? I'd ask you to donate, to shop, to volunteer, and to pray. Donate. We need 10,000 items a week to sustain our operations. I would love to receive your items, and I promise you we will get them to their best and their highest use. We take all kinds of things, and starting on the first Saturday of the month in October, yes, you're going to be able to donate right here uh, from 10 to noon. If not then, there's information in the back. We have donations uh, uh, open seven days a week. You can get stuff to us over on 220 in Lorraine. So donate. Um, Shop. If you are looking for an item, I'd ask you, come try us first. Okay, uh, it's affordable. There's a reason we're the best in, uh, best in Cleveland two years in a row. Uh, volunteer. Maybe you're saying, I would like to do a little something, but I don't know what. We've got opportunities in the store, working with our staff, being a part of the family there of what's happening. We have opportunities outside the store. Maybe you're like, I've got admin skills, or I've got these skills, and I don't know how that works, and my schedule's crazy. Look, we can use anything. We can schedule. We cannot schedule. Uh, If you've got a skill set and you think Jesus might want you to use it, come talk to me. We'd love to help you figure out a great way to use that skill set. And finally, pray. Um, That, to me, is is the work, okay? It's the furnace room of prayer that ignites and fuels everything we do. It's where things happen. It really is striking the winning blow. And then the ministry part is just gathering up the result of that great work of talking to God and what he's done, and it's aligning our wills with his. So if you can do nothing else but pray, do so. Pray for our staff. Pray for our people. Pray we would be a great witness. It takes a lot to hold all those disparate worlds together, ex-addicts and ex-felons and refugees and all that stuff, and there's life issues that are happening, uh, and those are very real things. But Jesus is more than capable of putting it together, and I thank you so much um, for being willing to partner with us and for joining us in this kickoff Sunday. God bless you and thank you as you seek to love your neighbor well and as you seek to bless this community that God has placed you in. Thank you. Jeff's going to be available after the service to answer any questions you have about building hope in the city, hope works, common threads. Isn't it exciting what the Lord's doing? And so it's great that we get to partner with them. Let's, let's pray for his ministry and Lord, we thank you so much for, for Brian Upton and Building Hope in the City and the way that it got birthed out of Trinity Lutheran many, many years ago. And we just thank you for what you're doing in and through that organization, and particularly with Hope Works and Common Threads. We just pray your blessing upon Jeff as he leads that organization, and may it flourish, Lord, in you, Holy Spirit, and that, Lord God, you would move through this community powerfully, and that our partnership with them would be a a palpable presence of your love for these people who work there, for these people who serve there, for the people who pass through those doors, and that you would be all over the community, Lord, as you continue. And I pray their influence would stretch across Northeast Ohio. And Lord God, we would just see a mighty movement of renewal and revival through that community and that partnership with us. And for in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Amen.